This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and your co-host, Kevin Toffel. And we have a stupendous show for you today. We're going to kick it off with news actually from last week. This was the proposed IPOs for Arlo and Sonos. So we're going to talk about that. Then we're also going to talk about Prime Day bargains you might want to hunt for. Got some details on Google Home product discounts and some updates to Google Assistant, Nest Software, and Sonos. Plus, we're going to talk about space-based IoT and smart city efforts from LG CNS. Finally, we'll include a link to how to make your own indoor air quality monitor if you don't want to buy one. We have our guest this week is Randy Schneider, who is with Delta Faucet, and he's going to be talking about the creation of the Amazon Echo-enabled kitchen faucet. It's going to be sweet. And we'll hear a message from our sponsor, Afero, talking about how they've worked with Kenmore to connect their appliances. Now, let's go to a message from another one of our sponsors. This week's podcast is brought to you by Avnet and its podcasts. When you guide today's ideas into tomorrow's technology, you meet a lot of change makers along the way. To bring their stories to life, Avnet has partnered with Not Impossible Labs to create a new podcast series about spectacular people harnessing the power of technology for the sake of humanity. Each week, they'll reveal new life-changing technology and the story of how it came to be. So listen now to Podcast Not Impossible. To find the podcast on your favorite podcast app, just search Not Impossible. That actually sounds really good, Kevin. Yes. All right. Let us get started with some financial news. I need like the little ticker tape sound now. (laughs) Oh, actually, that's like war bulletins. Never mind. Okay. We have last Friday, Netgear's Arlo division filed for an IPO, and Sonos also filed for an IPO. That's an initial public offering. It means they're going to raise money on the stock markets, and that money will presumably go towards making their products better, giving them money to continue forward, and all that good stuff. The fun part about IPOs is you get to read a document called an S1, and those have all kinds of financial information. So we know now that Sonos has sold over 19 million products in almost 7 million households around the world. And last year, they actually reported a billion dollars in almost a billion dollars in income. So that's actually pretty cool. They did have a net loss in fiscal 2017. So, you know, eh. but that's a lot of devices. And Sonos has been around for a really long time, like 13 years long time. Now there's also Arlo. From Arlo's, we have figured out that they have sold 7 million devices and they have made in fiscal 2017, $370 million. They don't have a profit yet. And that is because the separation expenses to get them out from Netgear and to go public are costing them more money than anticipated. So they do something called pro forma numbers that take out those kind of extraordinary events. And those numbers actually show that they are also profitable, which is pretty amazing for a hardware company. It's not like incredibly profitable, but hey. Yeah, it certainly helps that if you look even a year before the revenue growth from 2016 to 2017 that they reported is like 100% growth. I mean, they're just gangbusters growth. Right. And they are growing from a smaller base. That is, but 7 million devices is really good. This is Arlo. I'm pretty impressed with that because they've only been out for just a few years. So IoT doing well, but 
These documents are full of risk statements, and that's very par for the course, very normal. I used to read these all the time. What I'm noticing, though, in them, there's a couple things to notice, big trends that are worth pointing out. One, Arlo talks quite a bit about its relationship with AWS, Amazon Web Services. And that's because its cloud is hosted on there, and that's an integral part of its business. Arlo makes security cameras, and that data gets sent to the cloud. You can review the camera footage. And the fact that Amazon now is one of their competitors is brought up. And I'm curious, because they don't talk in there about rethinking their cloud strategy, but I'm curious if they'll find their way over to, I guess it wouldn't be Google, because Google has Nest. (laughs) So maybe Microsoft or some other cloud provider? I don't know. Yeah, it kind of does leave it to Microsoft Azure because there are no hardware competitors in terms of products from Microsoft in this space. So I wonder if we'll see that. And I also think this is an interesting, given the rapid M&A happening in this area, it'll be interesting to see if other IoT device makers decide to dump Amazon as it encroaches more and more into the smart home business. So that that's actually, that's what I was thinking. I mean, right now, you don't have a full suite of competing products from Amazon, but we know they've bought several companies, several, two camera companies I can think of, or camera component companies between Blink and Ring. So they'll compete even heavier in the future, I think, with Arlo. Yes. So that's one trend I'm going to keep an eye on in the next year. I also was surprised with Arlo. They had a really tremendous emphasis on engagement with their app and they tried to compare themselves to Facebook. And I don't know if this is like padding because, you know, you want to make investors think you're sexier than you are, which is very common in these documents, but they talked about hours spent monthly active users. And so I don't know, what is your, I feel like I don't want to buy a device that wants me to engage with their app. I want to buy a device that performs a smart home function for me. I almost never want to look at that. Cameras are a little different, but still. Yeah, I completely agree with you on trying to compare the engagement of a security camera app to a social media app or other, even they compared it to Candy Crush even. I'm like, really? You know, you go to a Candy Crush, you go to a Facebook when you, maybe when you have some downtime, right? You kind of pick and choose when that is, save for any notifications coming in that you're like, oh, I want to read this. But with a camera, you may be getting a lot of notifications, you know, like anytime somebody walks up to my house, I get a notification. It's not the same type of engagement at all. Yeah. So that struck me as weird. I don't know if I should read more into it because usually that engagement in social platforms is to emphasize both users and potential for ad dollars. Well, yeah. And social, you're engaging because of other people. You're engaging with other people, maybe not in real time, maybe even in real time with messenger apps that are related to those apps or direct messages. You're not engaging with a person here. So I just don't see that as a common or a metric that's comparable. So yeah, a little weird. The other thing that I thought was super interesting with the Arlo was actually the strength of retailers that they disclose. So their cameras are sold in three main places, Best Buy, Amazon, and Costco. And 28% of their 2017 sales were from Best Buy, which, wow, people are still shopping at Best Buy was my first thought. 16% were at Amazon and 13% were from Costco. And I don't know, Kevin, does that strike? I thought that was crazy. Crazy in what way? Because I actually do go to Best Buy when I gotta have something and or 
typically it's on sale, right? So if I need something immediately, I won't get it from Amazon. I'll go to Best Buy unless I can save a ton of money on Amazon. I would have thought the Amazon and Best Buy would be reversed. And then Costco is really interesting because that is like for mainstream America. That's where like your mom shops, right? So having 13% of their revenue come from Costco, I thought was like, guys in the smart home space, get your product into Costco. Good Lord. Well, yeah. I mean, we go to Costco probably once a month and I have seen the Arlo products as well as many other electronics. And as soon as you walk in, I don't know if it's the same at every Costco, but I've been to a couple in my area. And it's like, as soon as you walk in, that's the electronics section right there. You cannot not go through it. And I don't know how many, I mean, it's hard to just ignore it and walk past it. So I think they get a lot of decent sales by having products in there for mainstream consumers. And you're right, more companies ought to get their IoT products in there. I have seen some others, obviously, but yeah, without a doubt, it's right in your face. In your face. All right. So the only other thing that people hash this out quite a bit, and it is worth talking about, is from the Sonos IPO, because it talked about how Amazon can pull their functionality from the Sonos One speakers, really with limited notice to Sonos, because it's an API, a supported API. And I looked at that and everyone was like, ah, freak out. And I'm like, yeah, this is not great, but this is something we've been living with in the smart home community forever. We're actually going to talk about it ironically later on when we answer a user question. But this to me points to the need for a data schema, a unified data schema, like all join was supposed to be, like OFC is supposed to be, but is really not so far for the home. And for these devices, because right now, everything you buy is at the mercy of these supported APIs, and they can they can go away. And they also change on a fairly regular basis, as I've seen just from tinkering with my coding stuff. Something breaks because the API was changed. So I agree with you. I don't know that we're going to get to that point. I would love to, but everybody seems to have their own proprietary solution to this problem. But and if it happens, it's going to be terrible. I mean, I guess it gives a lot of negotiating leverage to a company like Amazon. But I mean, imagine the first time someone stands up to this, people are going to not want to buy these products. I agree with you. I also think the first product maker that loses compatibility or the functionality is going to make a big public stink and blame Amazon, rightly so. And I don't think Amazon will want to tarnish its brand with that. So when I saw this and people worrying about maybe this goes away, maybe I shouldn't buy a Sonos One, I'm like, don't be silly because frankly, Amazon doesn't make its money from selling Echo products. It makes money by getting the data, building new services on that data, and getting people to buy things and use the services through its Echo products and third-party Echo products that support the Amazon voice services. So Amazon wants Madam A everywhere. And if other companies want to help them do that, they're going to continue to support it, I think. Okay, fair. We'll see what happens. I just, again, I want my unified data schema still. Okay, let us move on to Amazon Prime Day. Actually, I am not a huge fan of this holiday. I don't care. (laughs) I was going to say. It's not really a thing, but we did notice a couple things to know. One, remember last week when I was talking about that crazy new Madam A powered sink from Delta? Hey, that's actually for sale. It'll be for sale to the general public for the first time as a Prime Day launch for $500 for Chrome and then $525 for Arctic Stainless, which is basically like a brushed chrome. (laughs) It looks like stainless steel that's a little lighter than stainless steel. 
And if you want to see it before buying it, you can actually go to the Stacey on IoT YouTube channel because... We put up a video. I actually reviewed it. So I'll link to that review in case you are interested in learning more about it or just seeing one of these in action and being like, wow, Stacy just is a little crazy, which is, is fair. So that's probably our most notable gadget. All Madam A Amazon products are on sale. So some good deals on Kindle Paperwhites. You know, I feel like I should keep a spare because I lose them all the time. <laughs> the Echo Show is like 130. That's a pretty great deal if you want that. And I also saw an Ecobee 3 with three sensors for 219. This is not the most recent Ecobee 4, but it's a really good thermostat. And having three sensors is actually really stellar. I don't even know what I would do with all three sensors. Yeah, that's actually the thermostat that we use here in the house. I have two sensors. I take that back. I have one remote sensor. So the unit itself is a sensor, and then you can add these additional little sensors in other rooms. And I literally, I should really buy another sensor because what I do is I put the sensor in the bedroom when we go to sleep. So that way the bedroom is comfortable. And then the beginning of the day, when I get out of bed, I'm the last one out of bed, I put the sensor in my home office. I just carry it. I mean, it's just a little dinky thing that runs on a coin cell battery. And that way I'm comfortable in the office. There you go. So we could get Kevin, we could splurge on a new Ecobee sensor for him. Okay, so those are some of the products that we saw. Did we see any? Oh, we saw the TP-Link Deco Mesh Networks. If you're in the market for a mesh network, that is also launching apparently as a Prime Day bargain. So yay. Not to be outdone by Amazon. Google Home is also doing some sales. Kevin? Yeah, these sales are actually through walmart.com. And I say that specifically because you cannot go and get these deals in the Walmart store, which is kind of silly. I live a mile from a Walmart store, but I order things through walmart.com just to get the rebates. And that's what they have on these. So this is through the 17th of July, which is coincidentally the last day of Prime Day. I'm not going to say anything more there. You can get a Google Home Mini on sale for $34, and then you get a $15 rebate. So it's $19 net for that, which is a really good price. If you want the full-size Google Home, which is normally $129, it's on sale for $99, and there's a $30 rebate on top of that, so it's $69 net. And if you really got to have bass-booming sound for your music, along with your Google Assistant, you can get two of the big, bad Google Home Max units, which I believe are $350 normally. You can get two of them for $498 after a $150 rebate, which is, wow, that's too much sound for me. That is a lot of sound. I mean, one of those fills up a room. So I guess you yes. have two rooms. Okay. So pretty good. We also have some little Google Assistant news. It's very little, but, <laughs> and I'm not sure what Google's trying to do here, but I know we talked about the Google Assistant voice. There are now eight voices. I use a man can... and my husband hates it. Why does he hate the man? I don't know. I think it's so funny, but I changed our Google voice to a man and he was like, what? Anyway, huh. I digress. <laughs> Okay. Well, I don't use, nobody in my house uses the Google Assistant but me, so I free reign to go male or female, it doesn't matter. But it used to just choose voice number one, voice number two, voice number three. That's the description. Now, and I'm not sure I understand why, if you go into the updated Assistant app, you now choose them by color. What? So, yeah. Red, purple, green. Why don't they have male, American accent, female, I don't British know. accent? Sean I, I really, I really don't know. But if you change it on one, it's a universal change that hasn't changed at all. So all of your assistant voices will change to the new voice on your phone and other devices, etc. It's true. I do I, get a little weirded out because my phone now talks to me in a man's voice. I'm like, what? Right. 
What are you doing right. in my pocket? Yeah. So currently I use orange for what it's worth. You might want amber, green, or cyan. That's up to you. Huh. All right. Isn't that weird? That is weird. Go Google. Keeping it interesting. Mm-hmm. Also in Google product news, Nest Aware customers can now set and manage activity zones on iOS and Android devices. This is something you could do for a while with Ring and I think some other like camera makers, right? So I believe even on the Wise, I was able okay. to do that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So yeah, up, up to now, you needed a computer to do it, right? Oh, okay. On the Nest Aware system? On the Nest Aware, yes. This just brings it down to the mobile apps. I have never played with a computer for any of my smart home apps. I try not to, but I <laughs> once I got the snooze, I updated my Nest app on my iPhone, and yep, you just have to view your camera in the app. Make sure your app is in landscape mode. So if you lock it to portrait, this will not work. Put it in landscape and then just drag the little handles around the area you want. So hopefully I will no longer get notified anytime somebody walks past the house across the street on the sidewalk because I have limited the activity zone now to just our front walkway. Although, oh, wait, does this mean you won't catch your neighbor if she backs into your car again? You know, I might want to change that nest aware zone, activity <laughs> zone. Yeah, I'm just saying, Kip. Yeah. All right. So in other tiny, tiny, tiny news that you may care about, Sonos now supports AirPlay 2. Kevin, you've got our, you're our resident Sonos user. Yeah, I'm not too jazzed by this, but I'm sure other people will be. Basically, yes, you have support for AirPlay 2, so you'll want to update your Sonos app. I did that right before the show, and then when I opened the app, it said, oh, there's an update for the app. So I sent me back to the App Store, which didn't have an update because I just got the update and I kept looping. So hopefully you have better luck. I was not able to test it because of that looping update issue. But what this does is you'll be able to say, hey, Siri, play such and such on my Sonos One or whatever Sonos or whatever room you have your Sonos set up in, and it will play Apple Music that way. So why I'm kind of like, eh. It's not like it adds Siri to the Sonos devices. It's just adding Siri support on your phone for your Sonos devices, which is sure nice to have, but eh, I'll just stick with using Madam A. (laughs) There you go. I'm like, yeah, all right. And we're still (laughs) waiting on updates to the HomePod, which, oh my gosh, we bought you in December. Do you ever use that? Give us an update on Uh, that. Pretty darn rarely. Only when a new function comes out, quite honestly. Okay. I mean, it's just because it's limited to Apple Music, which we do subscribe to, but I also listen to the Beatles channel or the coffee shop or coffee house rather on Sirius XM. That's all supported by Madame A. Yes. So why have that cognitive load? Okay. Hey, let's talk about something really cool. Space-based IoT. Not to be confused with the Space Force. This is real and happening. Well, sort of. Kevin, you want to talk to us about space-based IoT? Yeah, I did not know about this, but apparently there's been a project going back to 2014 with the development of Teldesat, which was a low-cost machine-to-machine communication service for space-based infrastructure for IoT. But the deal is, this is actually expanding to terrestrial IoT using the satellites to communicate. And the goal is to actually have 2 billion low-power, wide-area network devices connected to satellites by 2022. So... I have written about satellites a lot. It's a weird subgenre that I am really excited about. The challenge with this and the answer, we don't have answers on this, but when you're looking at this kind of satellite stuff, you need to think about a couple things. You need to think about simultaneous connections because satellites can only handle a certain amount. This one actually handles billions, I believe. So it's a lot. You also need to think about the cost of the radios in the terrestrial devices to talk to space and their battery consumption. As you can imagine, shouting all the way out to space is 
battery intensive. That's one of the reasons why these satellite phones are huge and expensive. They have lots of batteries and very expensive radios because there's not a lot of use for them yet, right? So they're not in wide scale operation, so you don't get the economies of scale in making those chips. But this actually sounds really interesting. So I'm actually going to try to find somebody who can talk to us a little bit more about this because it would be really intriguing to have these would use the same frequency as Sigfox and LoRa use right now. And I'm all about new networks for IoT and having a space component. Woo, that gives us global coverage in a way that we don't have today. And it gives Elon Musk another use for SpaceX. Yes, everyone's a fan. <laughs> all right, smart city news. So LG CNS, which is a IoT division of LG, they've launched a new smart city platform called City Hub. And it's going to focus on Korea obviously, or maybe not South Korea, and which is where they're based, which is where they're based, which is why I say obviously, but maybe not everybody knows that it's a little bit weird. And basically, it's a way to collect data from IoT sensors all over the place and bring it in and analyze it and, and deliver services. So it supports the one M to M standard, as well as 98 other IoT standards. Yeah, there's a lot. Well, that means they're doing all the standards work for you. The downside is that you're stuck with them as long as you don't know how to do that yourself. So and the idea is the platform will serve as the unified kind of, they call it a control tower for smart cities. This feels very similar to some things like in Busan, also in South Korea, they have a similar effort by one of their carriers. Singapore has an effort like this. They've worked with, I believe it was Accenture on a connected city platform that pulls in all this data and analyzes it. So I don't know, just throwing it out there for you guys. Yeah, that one M to M standard, I probably should have heard of it before, but I never did. So I went and looked and there are tons and tons of white papers and standards documents there. And I looked at the security one, which was 211 pages and my brain exploded. So I didn't even look at the other standards, but apparently it is a quote unquote worldwide global M to M standard. If it is, I'm not sure why I hadn't heard of it before. It's more European focused. Um, well, that's not global. <laughs> Maybe it is if you're in Europe. Europe, I believe, in Asia, which, you know, is what we would call rest of world or row, but everyone else would be like, yeah, that's global. <laughs> global can just sometimes mean more than a couple countries. Right. And before we get sucked into the one M to M standard. Let us talk about something Kevin found, which might be useful to you guys, especially if you heard me talking about the aware air quality sensor a couple weeks back. This is how to make your own indoor air quality monitor. Yeah, I just found this right before the show. So I can't say I like, followed this project and everything, but you know, allegedly this works fine. Basically, somebody, Adafruit, has put their own air monitoring sensor together measures various particle sizes, ambient temperature, relative humidity. They're using a dust sensor module, temperature and humidity sensor, a little what's called a hackable board, HACA BLE as in Bluetooth low energy. So that's how they're getting the data moving around. They're using a Raspberry Pi as a gateway with the Python script. Yay, Python! And an Adafruit dashboard display so they can look at the data. Again, it's a project that I did not do. It looks pretty technical because everything is explained, which is actually a good thing. But I mean, if you just want to follow the directions and copy the code, you could do this. And I would imagine it's not going to cost you that much. I didn't look at the pricing, but this has to be, can't be more than $100. I'd be, I'd be shocked if it was more than 50 quite honestly. Yeah, this looks like, they say this is a beginner level embedded <laughs> systems development project for folks interested in Bluetooth. So, you know... I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh, that is a lot of work. I mean, there's some soldering, but 
There's some code you can download. It's all on GitHub. Uh, you know, for like, yeah. a, I probably wouldn't do this. I would spend $99 on a, <laughs> on a device, but it'd be a fun project for anybody who like, maybe you got a high school student who's like bored this summer. Tell them to go yeah, do this. Yeah, I think looking at the instructions, it's overwhelming because all the base details of how these sensors work down to, you know, the each different byte in a transaction, you know, for the dust sensor, for example, is listed. But, and that's good for people who want to know everything about it. But if you don't, you could just follow the instructions, I think. And it's a little less overwhelming if you look at it that way. Yeah. And I would say indoor air quality, now that I've got this sensor running around, it's actually a really big deal. And there's a lot of, it's kind of interesting to see like how certain products or use patterns in my home really affect the air quality. So we started using the downdraft for our oven because I saw that every time we cooked, you know, we just get like all this particulate matter. And I'm like, oh, hey, dude, I should totally suck that away. And so now we do. Using like an oil diffuser can really suddenly like spike your pollutants inside. So Maybe don't do that anymore. So I don't know. I, I found it very educational and useful. Yeah. Just the Bluetooth sensor by itself is $20. I mean, again, this is not going to be a huge investment in terms of cost. Okay. So let us go to this week's voicemail. This is from our Internet of Things podcast hotline, which is brought to you by Schlag. And you, you can win a Schlagsense smart deadbolt and Wi-Fi adapter if you call us this month at 512-623-7424 and ask us a question. Not only will you be entered to win that SmartSense deadbolt, but you might also get us to answer your question. Smarter homes start with Schlage. So this week's voicemail is from Josh. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Kevin. I love your podcast, by the way. Thank you for listening. My name's Josh. I have a Chamberlain garage door opener that I'd like to make smart. It's my cue enabled. I'm mostly interested in being able to check is it open, that I drive away without closing it, and be able to close it remotely if necessary. I looked at the MyQ add-on, but I'm not a big fan of all the limitations. If you want to if this, then that. There's a subscription. If you want to add Google Now, this a subscription. There's no Madam A, but I'm assuming that will have a subscription if they ever get it. I wanted to look at other options, but I see conflicting information online on whether or not it's even possible to add anything else with the Chamberlain. Do you know anything about whether third parties work with Chamberlain garage door openers? Do you know if any of them are any good? Thank you very much. Bye. Okay, Josh. This is... There's a lot here <laughs> because it's a smart home question. Ha ha ha. And because there's no unified data schema for smart home products. But... Chamberlain and most of the other garage door opener companies don't actually want you to be able to open the door with your voice. They worry that it is a security issue. So this is the same thing that happened in the lock community. A couple lockmakers now let you do it if you also give them a passcode verbally. So that's one aspect of why it doesn't work with Madam A. I do have the Chamberlain MyQ. I think it's a great option for people who just want to see if their doors open or shut and take care of it remotely. So I gave this to my in-laws and they freaking love this. But for someone who wants to get more into home automation, there's only a couple things I can offer for you. One is if you have a Wink Hub, it does work with the Wink Hub, not to remotely close it, but to use like opening it as a trigger. So I have a robot in my Wink that if we open the garage door after a certain time of night, after basically dark, my porch lights go on. So I did that without IFT. I did that without having to pay a subscription. So if all you want to do is use it like as a trigger, great. But if you want to go further, you're probably going to go with something else. So Kevin will tell you about that. 
Yes, I actually don't have a Chamberlain MyQ garage door opener, but what I did put in with my garage door opener may work with the MyQ, and I'll explain in a second. So it goes by several names. One is the Linear GD00Z garage door opener. The one that I bought, I think it's available at Lowe's for like $65 under the name Go Control, which is what I have. Again, it's the same thing. It's just rebranded. Essentially, it's a Z-Wave controller with two wires, and those two wires get attached to the terminals where the wires from a hardware button garage door open and close goes. So I attached the Go Control to that, and it works perfectly fine with Wink. There's also a tilt sensor in the kit that you put on the garage door, and based on the tilt, the controller tells me if my garage door is open or closed. So I to have a robot that if after 10 or 15 minutes the garage door is open, it lets me know via Wink, and then I can remotely close it via Wink. Now, the MyQ models, according to the maker of the module, the Z-Wave module, they say they are not compatible, and that seems to be true based on what I read in various forums and such. However, we can add a link in the show notes if you don't mind soldering two little wires to the hardware controller in your garage that you likely have. If you want to do that, you can make it work. You can't solder it directly or connect it directly to the MyQ like I've done with my garage door opener. That will not work. Additionally, if you're not on Wink and you're on SmartThings, it looks like SmartThings support has been pulled in the last 6 to 12 months by Chamberlain. So you're really out of luck if you have a SmartThings hub. So if you have Wink, you've got an option, but it's going to require some soldering. Okay, and then our final thing, have not tried this, but we did find it on Amazon, a device from a company called Next Garage, N-E-X-X Garage, and they have a $99, it's a module that you stick to your door and a sensor. And this actually, they say it works with Madam A, so, and it also works with Google Assistant and Ift. So that might be the way to go. I looked at the reviews. Some people, it looks like it's a little bit more complicated to install, but I don't know. This looks... Yeah, there's no really good solution here if you don't want to jump into the MyQ space because of these changes that Chamberlain has made and adding subscription fees for if this and that and so on. I don't know. I I get why they do it. And I know we've talked about it on the show, but I'm still just not a fan of that. Right. And just before you buy, if you're interested in the next garage thing, before you buy, just go to the website, which is nextgarage.com. They have a list of the garage door openers it works with. So Chamberlain, there are bunches of them. I don't know which one you have. So you will have to check that out. All right, Josh, I hope that helps you and you enjoy your tinkering to get your garage doing what it wants to do. Let us know what you ended up with and how you feel about it. And now stay tuned for our guest this week, who is Randy Schneider from Delta Faucet talking about how they connected the faucet, why, and a bit about how they pre-programmed it to understand words like decanter and glass and tumbler. So stay tuned for that. And now a message from this week's sponsor. Hey, everyone, we are taking a break from the Internet of Things podcast for a message from our sponsor. This week's sponsor is Afero, and I have Joe Britt, CEO of Afero, here to talk to us. Let's really quickly tell our audience, what is Afero? Afero is a fully integrated, fully interactive, and fully secure sensor-to-cloud IoT platform 
Our customers choose us because they can cut down their time to market by as much as 80%. And of course, that cuts down on cost and complexity. Engineers love the platform because it's so robust and they can reuse 90% of their work from project to project. End customers love how easy it is to get their devices connected and how fast and responsive they operate. Awesome. So Kenmore uses Afero to get its appliances online. What are the benefits that Kenmore is seeing from connecting fridges and dishwashers to the internet? There are two main categories of benefits. The first one is end customer value. End customers get not only new features and the ability to control their devices from their smartphones, but also they can integrate Kenmore more tightly into their digital lives. Kenmore also benefits because their product managers can introduce appliances with truly competitive differentiation and devices that are easier and less costly to maintain and service. And they use real data from these devices in the field to understand what features are popular. So why is Kenmore working with Afero? Kenmore is an incredibly strong and trusted brand, and they had the foresight to start very early to lead what was, at the time, an emerging connected appliance market. They had multiple projects with existing solutions that, that just weren't doing the job. It took them too long to get a connected appliance to market. They experienced too many outages, and generally, the solution came way short of expectation. And now that they are on the Afero platform, how is it going with Kenmore? We're on our 27th connected appliance model together now. And Afero is a true platform, so everything works with everything else. One of the hardest things about IoT is that you have to develop for embedded, mobile, and the cloud. But Afero has created a unified click-to-configure development process that radically simplifies that. And as a result, the first Afero-powered appliance that Kenmore built was rolled out about five times faster than the previous one they had done. Then, the outages they used to experience stopped cold because we've built a lot of resilience into the system. And as you know, it's not a connected device if nobody connects it. And too many companies go through all the trouble of building connected products just to find that customers aren't signing up because the onboarding process is too complicated or too flaky. With Afero, it's a very simple process. So Kenmore started to see a lot more customers actually connecting their appliances. And then once those appliances were connected, Kenmore is able to manage the entire fleet of them using an overall single-pane dashboard that lets them see the data that's coming back from their machines and feed that into top-line analytics and machine learning. Finally, I want to touch on security. Afero not only secures all the data paths between the devices or appliances in this case in the cloud, but it also secures the manufacturing process. Where can we go to find out more about Afero? The best place is afero.io slash go big. That's A-F-E-R-O dot I-O slash G-O-B-I-G. Hey everyone, welcome to the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and today's guest is Randy Schneider, who is a product electrical engineer at Delta. Hi Randy, how are you doing today? Hi Stacey, I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. I am super excited to have you here. And I should clarify for everyone, this is Delta Fawcett, not the airline company, and we are talking about my new favorite gadget, which is the, oh man, there's a lot of words here, but it's basically a Delta faucet that talks to Madam A. And as you guys remember, Madam A is what we call Amazon's assistant device. So we don't set everyone's off. So Randy, let's get this started with, I saw this at CES. I've been talking about it ever since. I was very excited to install it. How did it come to pass that you guys decided, hey, let's take a water faucet that was already actually kind of tech heavy and add Madam A to it? Yeah, so that's a great question. Our Touch2O faucet 
has been around for almost 10 years. And Delta Roy is looking for ways to innovate and add new technology to our devices. So with the invention really of Amazon Echo and other smart speakers, they've enabled us to add voice activation to some of our devices. So we wanted to look for ways that we could add that onto our existing product offering. And as far as our electronic products go, our touch faucets are a big seller. So adding voice activation made sense. People could do some of the tasks that they normally do with a touch faucet, but this also enabled some new features for us. So we were excited to explore that space. I guess we should probably explain to people what the touch faucet does. Yeah, sure. Our touch to a faucets use capacitive sensing technology so that you can touch the faucet anywhere to turn it on and off. It has a handle on it so you can still control temperature and then you can even touch the handle to turn it on and off or on the spout just to enable you to do tasks and save water at the same time. Very good. And as someone who's owned, I have had a capacitive touch faucet for ever since we moved into this house and it took a, it was a little bit of a learning curve, you guys, but I would never, never go back now, even though every now and then people come and all my guests, they turn it off. They turn off the faucet at the faucet like they're supposed to, but it breaks the capacitive touch. It's actually a lot like smart light bulbs, you guys. So you guys actually started selling this first through your website to people as part of a beta program. What kind of feedback did you get? Yeah. So earlier this year, we sold a small quantity to some users through our website and we got lots of interesting feedback. Really, we learned about use cases in which people use this. We got some good feedback about how we could add future features to the product. We heard some funny stories as well about a person who has a cat that likes to turn their faucet off so they could give or likes to turn their faucet on rather and they would give a command then through voice to turn it off. I like it. I'm like I can imagine that cat. Okay. And I noticed you guys don't have an app and I was kind of curious why that was. Yeah, so that's a great question and it's actually an intentional decision that we made. With the product being centered around voice activation, pretty much all of the user interface is through voice activation. So there wasn't a lot left for an app that would be necessary. We used a web app so that a customer for some customization options could get a user interface to customize the name of a container or to could also remote control the faucet through a phone if you wanted. Also, as updates are pushed out, is something that we learned that you get the updates right away through the web app. You don't have to worry about, are you running the latest version of the app on your phone? So that was a nice benefit as well. Okay. Have you seen any pushback from your customers about this or do they even ever use the web app? Yes. we. That was a question we specifically ask our users. The web app usage is minimal because most of the user interface is through voice, but it does have some useful features. You can check to see how much water you're using. And then, like I mentioned, you can customize some things like a name of a container, like coffee pot or dog bowl, and how much water goes into those containers. Okay. And let's go to the actual installation side. So there's a lot to think about here. One, you've got to deal with plumbing, which I mess with everything in my house. And even I was like, ah, plumbing. But it wasn't actually that hard since I had had a Touch 2.0 faucet. I just added that Madam A module. And they have to have power underneath. And that's because Wi-Fi is a big power hog. The capacitive touch did not have to have that. So it was a little bit of an adjustment to me. I'm glad that I had an electrical outlet under my sink. Do most customers? So yeah, you're right, Stacy. With the Wi-Fi module on the faucet, you have to have an AC adapter and an outlet. We have found that majority of people have an outlet and they may not know that they have an outlet. Oftentimes, if you have a garbage disposal, you'll have an outlet under your sink. Or if you have a dishwasher nearby, there'll be an outlet under the sink as well. And if you don't, it's typically an inexpensive addition to have an electrician come out, or if you're a DIY type person, you can add an outlet without too much work. Okay. And let's talk about the actual skill with Madame A, because I find it a little bit 
tough to be like, the way this works, you guys, is I will say, Madam A, ask Delta to dispense two cups of water. And it happens. But I do find myself stumbling over Madam A, ask Delta to do something. So I'm curious about how you implemented this verbally. Yeah, so it can be a little bit of a mouthful, but once you get used to it in the routine, it becomes more commonplace for you. It is something we're looking to improve. Right now, it's a limitation of the profiles that are available within the ecosystem. So they have profiles for light switches and door locks, but there's not currently a profile for a faucet. And that's something we're working closely with Amazon to get to that next stage of development. Ah, yes. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. This kind of gets into this challenge that I've seen, which is there's no data schema, a no universal data schema for the smart home and devices in it. So everybody has to build their own kind of native skills, basically. And that I would think becomes a challenge for a company like you guys, especially do you have plans to go beyond Madame A and move into like Google or some other ecosystem? So when we started our development, we took a step back and looked at the landscape to figure out voice assistants are out there and what voice assistants are people using. This goes back sometime, maybe a year ago. And looking around, we saw that Amazon Echo was kind of leading the race a little bit and was popular among consumers that would also buy a touch faucet. To initially start a development, we partnered with Amazon and wanted to make our voice activated faucet work within their skills that were available. Since then, the landscape's changed a little bit. So Google has come up, um, Apple has their HomePod, and I think those are both platforms we are looking to explore to try to add voice activation to our faucet to work with those platforms. We're just not quite there yet. Okay. Let's talk about this issue that a faucet is something that people don't necessarily think a lot about in their homes. So like when you move into a new home, it has a faucet, right? And you're like, ah, there's a faucet. Great. It'd be freaky if there wasn't one. But people don't necessarily spend a lot of time thinking about replacing them and kind of upgrade cycles. But I imagine that you guys do. So how long do you feel like your faucet should last? And then how long from the, when you start adding technology to it, how does that change that equation? Yes, people typically think of a faucet as an appliance. When they move into a new home, it is just something that they use. People replace their faucets if something goes wrong and it's not working properly, or they want to do a remodel and update the style of the faucet. Our faucets are designed to last a lifetime, and they have a lifetime warranty on their fit and finish. Our electronic faucets have a five-year warranty. You can expect them to last for a long time. So... After the electronics part wears out or breaks, or maybe there's an upgrade cycle that needs to happen, how do you envision that process working? So if there's an electronic component that needs to be replaced, we offer replacement parts. You can definitely reach out to Delta through an 800 number or an online contact, and we can send you a new part if you need that. One of the biggest questions that I've gotten from people about this beyond latency is how do I know that the faucet isn't going to be turned on and waste gallons upon gallons of water? So most people were sitting here telling me, oh, I need a notification system that says, hey, your sink has dispensed this many gallons of water. I don't actually know. Do you guys have something like that in place? So all of our touch faucets for the kitchen models actually have a four-minute timeout. And so that will override not only a touch activation, but also a voice activation. So typical flow rates in people's homes are about a gallon and a half per minute. So that means really worst case scenario, if somehow your faucet inadvertently got turned on, it would dispense about seven gallons of water. Oh, okay. I couldn't even fill up my fish tank with that, you guys. Good to know. 
Another issue that we've encountered a couple times is I think it's probably with Madam A. So I felt like there was some sensitivity around names. So I started out calling something, I think it was fish vase because I have a certain vase I like to fill and it takes forever that I use to fill my fish tank. Actually, I tried to do that and Madam A was not having any of it. She's like, I couldn't understand this word. So do you have any advice for people on, Hey, maybe don't call it fish vase. Maybe just call it vase or something else. Yeah. So one word names definitely work better. You can use more than one word. You know, Amazon has their own AI machine learning that's going on in the background. And interesting tidbit during development when we have to train our skill on what kinds of objects to look for, we provide a list of common object names. So our developers actually went to the Crate and Barrel website and got a list of a lot of different container names, anywhere from base to bowl to decanter to kind of train it on types of objects and object names that would hold water. And so the skill uses that information to try to cross-reference a name that you might have with a common name for a container that would hold water. I like that. Are you guys planning to expand this to other areas of the home? So like, I think this is awesome, but a lot of people are like, hey, I want it to be like Madam A, run me a bath. Well, you know, that's something we're looking to explore. We right now have the voice-activated kitchen faucet, and it would be an area that seems to make sense to explore as we continue to grow the offering. But right now, it's just the kitchen faucet. And what has surprised you about launching this product and how people are using it so far? I think what was most surprising was how people use it in their everyday routine. So once people get used to naming an object like coffee pot, they begin to use it daily to fill their coffee pot. Or if they have a particular recipe that they make, for me, it's making oatmeal for my son in the morning. I've sort of changed my routine in the morning. Instead of reaching for a measuring cup out of the cupboard, I can give a voice command and feel confident it's going to dispense the right amount of water into the bowl with oatmeal and then heat it up and it's ready to go. So it's that kind of learned behavior that you see the shift where people were doing things one way and now the technology enables them to do it a new way. Okay. Well, I can't wait for the future when Madam A can actually read my recipes and tell the sink to dispense stuff automatically while I'm off doing other stuff. That's going to be like my end goal. Randy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah. Thank you, Stacy. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, if you'd like more IoT news, sign up for my newsletter at stacyoniot.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you.